Welcome to Ag Vic Talk, keeping you up to date with information from Agriculture Victoria. Nearly $80,000 a year to run your irrigation pumps is a big incentive to look for a cheaper way to operate your farm. G'day, I'm Drew Radford, and this is a story that's much more than just focusing on cost saving. It's also about cutting greenhouse gas emissions, making a property less labour intensive, and in a few years' time, also significantly increasing profits. For Christine Seabuyer and her husband Andrew, it's been a change in the way they farm, and it all started with an energy audit. So my husband Andrew and I are dairy farmers, and really, I have to say, he is the dairy farmer, and I'm just the accomplish. Mind you, I do the calf rearing, so I earn my keep. We farm at Bamom Extension, which is about 15 kilometres west of Echuca in northern Victoria. You're dairy farmers now, but you didn't actually come from that background. I understand neither of you are from a farming background. No, though Andrew's been at it much longer than I have. He was a city boy growing up in Mentone, but then had the great desire to be a farmer, so found an apprenticeship in the bush and uh, didn't take him long to be a share farmer and then build himself up. He was farming over at Dingy originally. But then moved to Echuca about 15 years ago and that's when I met him and then I went from being a very contented primary school teacher to being a farmer as well. It's a great story and I think you're underselling it a little bit because you're now running a herd of 600 head, I understand. That's a reasonable size dairy operation. It is and certainly Andrew is a very good manager and so the farm keeps growing bit by bit paddocks over the back that become ours and etc. And certainly we take advantage of maximising everything that we can to maximise production across the farm. We like to think that we're heading towards a bit of self-sufficiency. We're primarily pasture-based, though we feed silage via troughs. We don't have sophisticated feed systems at this time. Uh, We have a large number of young stock on the farm because we rear our steers rather than sending them to market when they're little fellas. We fatten them up a bit. And we are working towards a new dairy. So we're currently milking those 600 cows uh, in a herringbone, which is hard work for our staff. So we are working towards the rotary and then with the rotary we'll increase the herd size. So we've got a lot of young stock at the ready for that to happen. You've clearly got a vision for the property and you said there that you're past your base, which requires irrigation. For you, I understand that is quite an expensive process and that sent you down a path of going, well, how can we save? Correct. So... Um, We're pasture-based, yes, but we grow all of our own hay, all of our own silage and 30% of our grain requirements. So that's uh, a lot of irrigation. And so we have relied mostly on bore water for that. We have two bores on the property, two deep lead bores, and they run about 100 days a year. And they used to be powered by two diesel pumps, And so that was costing us about $86,000 in diesel back in 2019 in a year. So 
you know, it was a huge part of our budget. That's a remarkable amount of money. And I imagine that under current prices might almost be double. So what happened? Did you look at the property and go, look, can we move to solar? And if that was the question, then what's the first step in going down that path? So if we take a few steps back, probably, Drew, we were conscious, me from a bit of a greeny aspect and certainly Andrew from an economical aspect of the amount of power that we use, the amount of energy that we were using on the farm and going to dairy workshops around energy. We were always looking at ways that we could be saving power in the dairy. You know, that was sort of the focus that the dairy industry was was on. And so it was, you know, how can we save you know, in milk cooling and, you know, heat transfer and all of those sorts of things. And so the energy audits became available. And so we thought as much probably as an environmental perspective, as well as the financial, that we would have an energy audit done to see what we could be doing better. So process of, you know, applying for the audit took a while. Once we were successful that we would be able to have the audit funded, It took quite a while for the auditor to come from Sydney. (laughs) And then when she did come, the focus initially was very much on, yes, the dairy and what we could be doing. But as she progressed in her work, it became evident that the dairy was for its age and where it was, it was pretty energy efficient and it was the rest of the farm that was very inefficient. And so that especially being that it was the irrigation that was taking the most energy. So that process then, I guess, helped you prioritise your implementation of, well, we're going to replace the pumps with electric pumps. Was that what happened? And, and go to solar? Basically, yeah. So the auditor identified that the diesel consumption for irrigation took up 82% of our energy use. And so that then made it, you know, a bit of a no-brainer. And then for me, it was two huge diesel engines that were driving each of those bulls. You could hear them across the farm and the the neighbours would say they knew when we weren't irrigating, which was, you know, a little bit sad. And, you know, conscious of the amount of carbon that that was emitting. So, yeah, the auditor recommended the electrification of the pumps and then converting to solar to then drive them. And that that would give us a you know a cost saving of about eighty six thousand. So we had to remove the diesel pumps and then install submersible electric pumps down into the bores. So that meant that there was work to be done to the bores. And then we've got two arrays of panels, two hundred and fifty panels, and they're programmed to track the sun as the sun rises. The mechanisms kick in and the panels come down and face the rising sun. And then they click their way around all day until the sun sets. And then they click back up to be flat, ready for the next day. And so they're generating power all the time. When they're not generating enough to run the bores, it automatically switches to grid power so that the power is always there so the pumps can always be pumping. It sounds like quite a high-tech operation with all the different elements that you've got going on there, Christine. How do you go about selecting the right supplier to deal with all of that? (laughs) Yeah, and if you're listening carefully, Drew, you know that it's way above my head. We know that it's generating power. We're really proud of the fact that it's um, state-of-the-art and doing all of those things, but it's high-tech stuff and so it's way above us. We were really fortunate that when all of this was initially being discussed, 
we were actually having work done on our bores and the guys who were servicing our bores and we actually had one bore re-drilled not long before that time. And so they had been working with a company to install similar projects to what we had in mind in the Southern Riverina. And so they suggested a company that we should partner up with for the solar. However, as we progressed, we were pretty mindful that if we were dealing with somebody that was from Melbourne and something was going wrong here, they were a long way away. And it came to pass that our own Sparky, who we've dealt with forever, he was actually quite experienced in pretty big scale solar projects. And so he was confident that he would be more than capable of implementing this one. Though he had not done any work with trackers, he was confident that he would be able to adapt, <laughs> learn. And then he, using his his knowledge locally, was able to source the company through an Ichuka business. And so not only were we using our own local tradie, we were then using the local business for the supplier and the installation. So we were really happy with that because not only were we giving local business support, but if anything goes wrong, they're right there too. So we're really happy with that outcome in the end. Sounds like a really important outcome because you need confidence levels quite high. This is an entirely new system you're implementing. Were there any significant hurdles that you had to deal with, Christine? I'm sure there were plenty of small ones, but any major ones? It all took, you know, much longer than we thought. But because the Sparky was, you know, taking responsibility for the projects as far as the solar went, so that was great. We did have teething problems. You know, we have an app on the phone that we can track how much power is actually being generated at a time and so forth. The company in Sydney is keeping track of that and actually goes further back to Germany are tracking it as well. But for a while, the panels were stuck flat and they weren't tracking. You know, yes, we were generating power, but not nearly as much as we should have been. So a bit of FaceTiming from down in the paddock where the inverters are, you know, phone up in the air, moving aerials, doing all sorts of things while the the techies are in Sydney telling us what to do. (laughs) And they were giving us instructions of what to do in the inverter space and they were back in Sydney and fixing it all up and we haven't had any issues since so that's you know good 18 months or so ago. 18 months ago and it sounds like things are going really well since then. What sort of payback period are you looking for this? When the initial audit was done the payback was anticipated to be six years. However there's been some bonuses that were quite unexpected When we were doing the submissions, there was no consideration of how much power we would actually be putting into the grid. And certainly there was question marks about how much we would be able to put into the grid. But once again, our own local Sparky and our very diligent bookkeeper did a lot of negotiation with PowerCore. So now we're able to feed into the grid to a value of about $12,000 per annum. So that comes back off that six-year payback. And then, um, you know, we thought we were making savings of about 86000 in diesel. But as we all know, the price of diesel has 
just about doubled in these recent years. And so that saving is hugely more than we expected back in 2019. So yes, the payback is looking ever more impressive. That's remarkable. You've now got a shortened payback period. You've got a great feed-in tariff and you're going to get a significant boost then in your, in your profit line. That's got to feel good. That's a remarkable outcome. <laughs> and actually, surprisingly enough, there's a major bonus for what we grow as well because the pumps are so much more efficient than the pumps that we had previously, we're able to water a lot more efficiently. And so that watering is having benefits to our actual um, yields. So that is another bonus. It's making irrigation more efficient. So because the irrigation is more efficient, man hours spent chasing water is significantly reduced. And also the amount of time spent checking and servicing the old engines, uh, that's also now time that Andrew's got back. So, yeah, there's lots more paybacks than you really even expected. Well, and as you mentioned, also the reduction in carbon output is massive as well. Christine, is there any key piece of advice you give other farmers who are considering embarking on their own energy journey? You really need to approach it with a really open mind because you'll be surprised at, you know, which road you actually might end up going down. The submission process is long and arduous, but obviously well worth it. We had tremendous support from the department. For Christine Seabuyer and her husband, the starting point was an energy audit. These are conducted by people like Peter Clinic who's an energy consultant with Advanced Environmental Systems. They've conducted nearly 500 audits over the last 20 years or so. I was curious if the ultimate goal with this process was to get down to zero consumption from the grid. While it's desirable to get down to a very low level, it's not always possible. So we look at that and we say, well, where's the energy being wasted at this farm? And in that, we start at the power pole and look at the quality of electricity that's coming into the site. That's called power factor. And for a lot of people, the power factor is very poor, particularly if there's a high demand. For example, when all the dairies are running in a district, the power factor will be dropping back considerably. And uh, things like pumps, etc., don't run very efficiently. So... It's hard on the pump motors and it's also costing you more because you're actually drawing more power to make those things run. How then do you assist farmers to utilise the information in the energy audit to prioritise and implement energy technologies on the farm? It's not just about doing an energy audit and handing a report across to a farmer. They really have to understand and we have to understand more importantly what's financially feasible for these guys, what's practically feasible. Some people just don't have an understanding of computers, for instance. It's no good giving them a, an automated system that's, uh, for instance, uh, running their irrigation because these guys just won't come to grips with it. They won't use it. It'll sit on the shelf, so to speak. So what we've got to do is make sure that we have a good understanding of what the farmer is capable of financially and personally from uh, a mode of operation, if you like, and then press ahead and put the suggestions in there in the report that 
he's going to be able to utilise or she's going to be able to utilise on farm. So if a farmer has made a choice about a type of energy technology they want to implement on farm, what's farmer then got to consider when selecting the technology provider and, and installer to make sure that they get the optimal outcome? It's really important to speak with other people that have done similar exercises and for instance if, if you're getting a new solar system then talk to a few of your mates over the fence but uh, get several quotes and and look at the specifications and see whether it's really meets your requirements in fact does it meet the Australian standards uh, the other thing is to look for reliability in the equipment and obviously efficiency is there backup available? For instance, there was heat pumps were very popular 10 years ago and a lot of dairy farmers had them installed, but no one would come and service them. And so that was a real weakness in the system. So when I would go out there and suggest, what about a heat pump? I get a resistance from farmers because they only know about the bad experiences that have occurred, not the good experiences that they're now, they're now with much more efficient heat pumps in the market and people to service them locally. The other thing to look at is maintenance costs on an item and whether there's actually a monitoring app, for instance, to perhaps integrate with your irrigation system. So there's a lot of different aspects to consider when you you're looking at installing equipment. One other thing is the warranty. There's different types of warranties, for instance, for solar panels. You can get a warranty on the actual equipment and there should be a warranty that covers the efficiency of the panels over time. Those sorts of things are what you need to look at and that's sometimes a little bit outside of what people want to do or are interested in doing when it comes to doing their homework. Peter, there's certainly a lot to consider in terms of the type of equipment and also access to capital. And I guess that comes down to a, a staged implementation approach for many, such as solar and battery systems. What does a farmer need to consider in their approach to implementation? Yeah, well, staging projects is somewhat tricky. It's one of those things you want to avoid if you can. It's better to take a full implementation approach and perhaps borrow the money from an organisation like a Sustainable Australia Fund who have specialty arrangements for people that want to put in, for example, solar panels or want to put a variable speed drive on a pump. They will actually fund that exercise and they will set up the repayments so that it matches the payback period. So uh, staging projects can be fraught with problems. The availability of the product down the track is sometimes an issue. Compatibility with similar products from another supplier can be an issue. So staging projects can create complications. And what can happen is that you buy one item and it's not compatible and you end up in the end purchasing a new item that will do the job for you and you're really left with a stranded asset. So staging projects can do it, adding on panels, for instance, for solar, but uh, try and avoid it, try and get the whole job done up front. What would be your key piece of advice you'd give to farmers on undertaking their own energy journey as they implement energy technologies? Drew, I'd be looking at what equipment 
is out there on the farm that's using a lot of power and running the longest hours. For example, your refrigeration equipment on a dairy is really working hard, maybe eight hours a day. You need to look at that equipment and say, how old is it? How soon can I replace it? When can I afford to replace it? But when you do replace it, replace it with something with high efficiency. The other advice I would say is get the best quality product that you possibly can because it might seem more costly to start with, but you get what you pay for. A good example is with pumps. Don't rush out and buy the cheapest pump. What you need to do is look at what the efficiency of the motor is and you need to look at what the quality of product is. For example, I've seen pumps with bearings that are failing after two years. So it can be actually bad economics to invest in cheap products. Peter Clinic, Energy Consultant for Advanced Environmental Systems, thank you for joining us for this AgVic Talk podcast. It's been a real pleasure, Drew. Thank you for listening to AgVic Talk. For more episodes in this series, find us and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave a comment or rating and share this series with your friends and family. All information is accurate at the time of release. Contact Agriculture Victoria or your consultant before making any changes on farm. This podcast was developed by Agriculture Victoria, authorised by the Victorian Government, Melbourne.